legalizefreedom.com. Why are we here? Where do we come from? Where are we going? From the nature of reality to the future of humanity. Listen without limits. Unchain your brain. Change your thinking. Change your life. LegalizeFreedom.com Greetings and welcome once again to LegalizeFreedom.com. I'm your host Greg Moffat and my guest today is Christian Morris who joins us to discuss media, politics and current affairs in general during the coronavirus crisis. We talk Trump, identity politics, political correctness, censorship, culture, social media and more. Hello and welcome Christian and thank you so much for joining us once again on LegalizeFreedom.com. Thank you. It's great to be back. I mean, so much has happened since we last spoke, hasn't it? It certainly has. And um, fire out your uh, YouTube details, by the way. We'll do this again at the end. But if people are wanting to know, hey, who's this guy? Uh, what, mm-hmm. what, what's on his mind? Uh, they can they can hop over to your channel and, and uh, you know, listen to your opinions on, uh, on all sorts of things. Well, the YouTube channel is Christian Morris TV. Increasing, I'm linking to other stuff of mine there. Um, who knows what direction YouTube is going to be going in? Uh, who knows what direction all tech is going to be going in or big tech is going to be going in in general? But that's in the first instance where people can kind of catch me. At the moment, I put a video up and I might get six or seven on a good day, six or seven hundred um, views of it. But I'm only new to this and uh, hopefully it'll grow incrementally, you know. Sure. Well, people want to check out our previous chat. There'll be a link to that. On, on my website, the page for this interview. But mm-hmm. you, you mentioned YouTube. That might be a place to start. Um, not, not as a topic of conversation for very long, but I, you're not the first person to, to, you know, throw up a, a big question mark about what's happening with, with big tech platforms, you know, social media platforms. And as far as YouTube goes, I used to do not spectacular, but I'm, I'm nearly 18,000 subscribers. But I've been sitting at 17,800 and a few for months. Mm. Whereas uh, I used to do anywhere between zero and 10 per day, usually five Mm. or less. But, you know, but it was solid progress. And that's how over a few years I got to uh, 18,000. But it's now last month I had two subscribers. The previous month I actually lost a few. Mm. And I was Mm. talking to another fellow, Niall Murphy, who's a, a YouTuber. And he's grown increasingly frustrated because, um, he, after, you know, modest start, he's gone into reverse. And it doesn't, the reason it doesn't make sense, and this is not what, you know, you or I or him or anyone else saying, oh, you know, we've got an ego. Why are we not getting subscribers? It doesn't correlate with the feedback, with the, the number of views, uh, you know, with the emails and messages I get saying, oh, I like this. I didn't like that with the comments. It just doesn't make sense that subscriptions would just grind to a halt. Mm, mm, mm. Um, nothing makes sense at the moment, and um, I I wouldn't think that that necessarily is going to change anytime soon. Um, YouTube is a publisher, whether they will accept that or not, or whether they will admit to that or not, they have crossed the tra- they have transcended from being 
a platform or a public square into being a publisher, as indeed has Twitter with their censorship of the outgoing president and now former president Donald Trump. Um, this has got major implications for them. It is a knee-jerk response of theirs for which they may well end up paying a very high price. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned um, Trump being deplatformed there. It doesn't matter what you think of that guy as a businessman or as US president or any of the, his other incarnations. We should all be very concerned about him being deplatformed like that, that someone like that, let's face it, the US president until a couple of days ago or whatever it was, mm-hmm. that's, that is unprecedented. And remember, I, I, this also harks back to, um, when he allegedly, uh, was diagnosed positive with, uh, COVID-19 on social media, there was a, a flurry, including many people that I'm connected with, basically praying for his death. Mm. And those two things, like, you know, we don't give a fuck if the US president dies. We, in fact, we hope he does because we hate him so much. This is another human being. I'll go so far as to say that. And we don't care. There's, there are no implications for us if the, if the US president has his Twitter account, uh, closed. You know, like, it was just, as with the, what I just mentioned a moment ago, this is uncharted territory. Mm. What we're seeing with Trump is the net result of wokeness. I've been looking closer at it and it's we're in a time now in which even two years ago stuff that would have been called tinfoil hat is now largely coming true. So, for example, David Icke is, has for many, many decades been ridiculed as a tinfoil hat. Uh, a lot of what he has come out with in some of his books, a lot of which I've read, is tinfoil hat. But David Icke's theory that there was the construction happening over a long time of a bureaucratic authoritarian police state has come true um we are seeing how wokeness is now being used really to to tyrannize people and there is a theory and i won't entirely adopt it but there is a theory that wokeness came in in the 1960s and was disseminated into western primarily american british and as opposed by default irish universities by a deliberate design of the Soviet Union as a technique to demoralize and to confuse. When you're dealing with psychopaths, and we are dealing with psychopaths, one of the primary tricks that psychopaths use is confusion and bafflement. I know this myself in my 20s and even in my teenage years having encountered psychopaths. They baffle people. I encountered a psychopath in the shops about two weeks ago, and he threatened me. So I squared up to him for threatening me, and then he said I was mad. That's a psychopathic response. In other words, I I have just threatened you with physical violence. Why should you stand up to me? You're a lunatic. It's gaslighting as well, and it's bafflement. It's what they do. Once you know what psychopaths are and what they're about, you can see them as clearly as your man with the black glasses in They Live. Um, This is what we're seeing now. Wokeness is now coming to its complete you know, uh, flourishment here, if you like. Donald Trump was the last in the United States, the last bastion against wokeness. Um, we now have a Biden presidency over a Democratic Congress. We are getting, you know, you probably heard some videos of mine. We are getting wall to wall, 24-7, unicorn, ra- rainbows and unicorns, 
uh, with Biden. And, you know, I wish him the best look in the world. A video that I had a few days ago was, we must be realistic about the time frame that the Biden presidency is operating at. The time is now 1915 here in Britain and Ireland. So I'm giving him to midnight to have the full uh, rainbows and unicorns in place. And if he doesn't have rainbows and unicorns in place, I think a lot of people will be sadly disappointed. Are you aware of the author and uh, academic and social commentator Douglas Murphy? No. Okay, so we're talking about identity politics and wokeness. Uh, he's author of a number of books, but uh, one of the, not the most recent, but the, the one I've read most recently is The Madness of Crowds. Um, so if anyone's listening to this and they're, they're interested in identity politics and uh, a perspective on that, they might want to check his work out. But anyway, I'd recommend it to you. I'd be very interested to hear your thoughts because he has a whole chapter devoted to sexual identity issues, gay, lesbian, the whole rainbow spectrum of, of what people identify as. Uh, check it out. There was something very interesting that you that came up uh, in one of your recent videos, uh, just a, a, a passing comment, and you said this is World War Three, what we're going through now, and it, it hasn't just started. And in a, a couple of recent interviews, I brought up something uh, reminded people of something that I actually said, have been saying for years. World War Three started decades ago. I don't know about you, what your timeline is on that, but yeah, th this is what we're living through, and it's it is it's ongoing. It's not hasn't just started. Yes, I agree with you. I think you, you know what I said a moment ago is that the tinfoil hats are now all having their day in the sun, and um, we must always be skeptical, particularly of our own prejudices and our own notices notions, you know, uh, I'll come on to that in a sec, but I believe that a trajectory started, which we're seeing today, and that it started with the Kennedy assassination. One of the things about the Kennedy assassination is that we do not know really what happened. Well, we know John F. Kennedy was shot in the head, but, you know, then um, Lee Harvey Oswald apparently did it, and he was very conveniently killed by Jack Ruby. So the whole Kennedy thing was just a bit too convenient, and we must not lose sight of the fact that whoever shot Kennedy knew what they were doing. So the notion that that was one individual crank who just fired a gun uh, across a motorcade in Dallas, frankly, doesn't bear, bear up. Then the question is, who did it, why, and all the rest of it. And again, it's a psychopathic thing. To an extent, there's a, there's a contradiction with psychopaths. On the one hand, they like to baffle and confuse, and on the other hand, they like to abuse in the open. So what we're seeing with the Kennedy assassination was, obviously, that was a hit job planned well in advance, done by professionals. Who did it, we don't know. But they don't care. The people who are behind it don't care. The same at 9-11. There is more, I would be happy to say conservatively, that there is more to 9-11 than meets the eye. Who did it, we don't know, and the people behind it don't care. What happened with the 2020 election, and I'll touch off the 2020 general election in Ireland in a moment, but the 2020 presidential and congressional election in the US was obviously something went very, very wrong here. Now, what happened, I don't know. And I'm sitting at home in Dublin. Uh, I'm a guy on the dole who talks into a microphone a bit like Stixie does, or, you know, Stix Hexenhammer, Tarl Warwick does. He just talks to a webcam. Um, my production standard would be of a, a quality with his. We are only able to make observations that we can make by distilling what we see in the mainstream media, what we see on alternative media, and deducting it ourselves. Um, 2020 was the year of coronavirus, which I think was a hoax from the start to the finish. 
And then in 2020, we saw a U.S. presidential election where an incumbent president who had a great degree of popularity across middle America was unseated by a candidate who was very, very old, unappealing, a career politician who then apparently got the biggest popular vote in the history of the United States. It doesn't make sense. It's actually lacking credibility on the face of it. And the people behind it don't care. They got Biden in. Biden occupies the position legitimately because the congressional vote then of the 6th of January legitimizes and kind of, if you'd like, sanitizes everything that came before it. Um, but there are still very grave questions that have to be asked about that. And to be gaslit and told, well, you're a tinfoil hat for not asking the questions. No, that's not true. You'd be a tinfoil hat if you were saying there's a chance of Trump getting back in. He's not going to get back in. And he was one of the first people to concede that, although so did I. You know, my minnow voice out here in Ireland. I just said it's over. It's lost once the congressional vote had happened. Um, so what we're seeing is, and it happened in Ireland, again, I'll touch off this briefly, we're seeing the psychopathic phenomenon of who are you going to call? What are you going to do about it? Because we did general election. I think I mentioned it in our previous interview. We did general election in 2020 in Ireland. And the two main parties, Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil, got their seats back in, in many instances on 13th, 14th and 15th counts. So that should be an indictment of how popular those politicians were, that they couldn't get elected, although they were in government or strongly in opposition with Fianna Fáil, they couldn't get back in on the first count. But they got back in, they decided, these two opposing parties decide to form a government of their own, and their attitude to everybody else is a big two fingers. So you voted, you didn't want us in, so you've got both of us. And it is, although it manifests itself differently, it is quite similar to what has happened in the United States, insofar as people quite obviously didn't want what's happened, but they've got it. Now, uh, regarding Biden, Biden is, I think, going to encounter and enjoy the benefit of what Faradkar encountered and enjoyed from the moment he became Taoiseach here without a general election in 2017. He is going to enjoy, it looks to me, like a golden ticket free pass from the mainstream media. Because Biden himself, objectively, similar to Faradkar, has a very questionable background. Faradkar is a criminal. And I've contacted him to say that I'm going to continue to claim that about him and he can sue me if he wants. Because Varadkar, by his own admission, interfered in two public planning processes or two public selection processes here in Ireland. One was in relation to planning. I think the other was in some Broadway in relation to help. Varadkar also has questions to answer in relation to the Children's Hospital in Dublin, which is the largest overspend and steal of public taxes in the history of this country. Yet... Nobody in RTE and the Irish Times even thinks about raising these issues. Every piece of rubbish Farad comes out with and his spin unit and his PR doctors come out with is grabbed like a bone by a hungry dog by RTE and the Irish Times. The same is happening now with Biden. Utter rubbish is coming out about Biden already and he's only in three or four days. And this is an important process that we all have to go through because... What has happened among a certain quorum of people here in Ireland, and it happened particularly in 2019 and more so in 2020, is that a critical mass of people is beginning to realise that the mainstream media are liars. Yeah, I mean, I've been a long-time observer of the media in general, but certainly the mainstream, not as source of all the information about reality or how the world really is or how it works, but simply 
because it was something to be aware of because that's where most people get their information from. So, and I've been in the media for many years. So I wanted to know people I was encountering in different situations. Where are they getting their information? What, what do they know? When they say what they say, tell me what they think. Where did that come from? So I want to know mm. the source. Mm. But I may have mentioned in our last um, interview that it was on March 17th, 2020, when I stopped paying active attention to the mainstream media in the British Isles completely, uh, because I could see where it was going. I mean, it was already on a certain arc, if you know what I mean. It was already in a certain direction of travel. But when the when the virus hit, whatever you think about it, you know, that when the mainstream media said this is what's happening, and when the first lockdown was announced for March 25th or 23rd, can't quite remember, here in the UK, I, I knew what was going to happen. And it's played out at least as bad as I thought it was going to. Uh, so I, I just had to completely stop. And I, I cannot see myself ever going back to that again. When I say I was paying attention, I mean, on, on a daily basis, usually in the morning, and again, at some point in the evening, I would tune in to BBC Radio 4 uh, for the world tonight or the world, you know, this morning, whatever it happened to be. Big roundup, a uh, couple of hours, what the hell's going on? Uh, I feel much, much better for it. Yeah, me too. Um, I explained to you in my previous interview with you the particular um, red pill, black glasses moment that I had with RTE in 2019. After that point, anything I do see on RTE or I do see in the Irish Times, I have to qualify with that. Uh, having said that, though, you know, you'll trip over the mainstream media occasionally and just go, ask ah, it's just the mainstream media and all their lies. Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, it's in one way, it's um, unavoidable. One thing I reflected on over the last 10 months or so has been how not paying attention to the media hasn't meant that I, I don't know what's going on. Because mm. on one level, if there's anything that really impacts your life or that you need to know about, that information will find its way to you. If you see of course I mean. it will. Of and, course it will. And also, it was a bit like being on holiday because uh, I would sometimes, when I've been on holiday in the past, uh, abroad, the US, Australia, whatever, just couldn't get the UK news easily. And it just wasn't, I didn't want to anyway. I was on holiday for God's sake. Why would I want to listen to doom and gloom? But upon returning home, I would realize it's, oh, what's been happening? Oh, not much. Or even if something had happened, like I was on holiday when that huge Asian tsunami hit, if you remember. Yes, uh, yeah. Back and you know, thousands of people killed. That was big news. Well, I, I found out about that. Someone told me. So, um, I didn't actually need to know, but it just proves my point, really. Yes. Yes. Um, the other day, or I think it was yesterday or the day before, um, I actually put it in one of my videos. Uh, well, I'll make it broad before I get onto that. And I have a terrible, um, tendency to go off on tangents and I have to start disciplining myself about that. One of the observations that I've made is that the, the middle class, what we conventionally call the middle class, is fracturing and it should be waking up to the fact that they are absolutely seen as prey by whoever the big they, in inverted commas, is behind all of this. Uh, Catherine Austin Fitz has a very good video, Planet Lockdown. They're coming out with a full-length feature later on this year. I think they were holding their fire until they saw how the US election, particularly on the 6th of January, would eventually transpire. But she talks about the misappropriation of property belonging to the middle class across certain strategic parts of the US. The same in a different manifestation is happening here in Ireland, and I assume the same is happening in Britain. Although, in Ireland, we have a middle class which is much flimsier, in my opinion, and more fragile. 
than you you would have in England, where there's lot, lots of residual wealth in England and even Scotland and Wales. And yeah, two days ago, there were some people nosing around our property and asking questions. And, you know, my attitude to those kind of people is... Uh, it's a condescending one insofar as you don't have the right really to quiz me about anything. But I was polite to them, and it was interesting to talk to them. They were a man who would have been about my own age with his mother, who I think would have been in her 70s. And the woman obviously had grave doubts about everything that was going on, whereas the son just had... Uh, I might as well have been talking to an orange man bad character. Um, and I realised that it was no harm for me to talk casually and try and let the woman germinate even further the doubts that were already in her head. Um, one of the things I said to her was, of all these terrible COVID deniers who you read about in the Irish Times and hear about on RTE, I said, all these people are having anti-mask meetings and who are going to the shops without masks. How many of them have died of COVID? And she said, uh, well, I don't know any. No, I said, neither do I. I said, you remember those five RTE stars who broke all the rules? I said, have, have they died of COVID uh, or not? I said, and by the way, I said, have they been sacked summarily from their jobs in RTE for what they did? And then the son said, well, you don't wear a mask, do you? I said, I'm not a hypocrite. I said, I've called COVID-19 a scam from the start and I have on principle conscientiously objected, there are medical reasons as well, which I can explain in a sec, conscientiously objected from wearing a mask. I said, whereas these five stars, and that's very much an inverted commas, on RTE, uh, have absolutely been loud tailors for the COVID-19 scare porn from the start, yet they prove themselves to be liars. I said they should be sacked immediately from their jobs, lose their pension rights and not get any redundancy. I said instead they they give a two-minute sneering apology on the news and we're supposed to take that. Well, I said, you know, look, then then your man, the son, chimes in with the cliche I've been hearing over, since kind of Christmassy, but it's been growing. Well, we'd all just like this to be over. Yes, I said, and it'll be over when a critical mass of the Irish people decides that they've had enough of it, it'll be over in a day. And the mother interrupted me and she said, you're right. And at that point, I let them go. Because you don't want to turn into a goddamn fanatic. You know, you can end up being one of these goddamn Dale Gribble fanatics. I'm not going to do that. When that woman who's in her 70s said to me, yes, you're right, I said to myself, that's enough. You know, leave it now. If they call back again trying to kind of look at our outhouse or come check our dustbins, we can have another conversation. Yeah, Exactly. You mentioned Dale Gribble there. It's a character in King of the Hill, isn't it? He was a, uh, yeah. a, a professional conspiracy theorist, uh, very humorous. But yeah, no, I, I've often said, you know, if we choose to, for example, if we choose to oppose the religious, for example, mm. then we should not become too religious in our opposition. And mm. that, that's not necessarily about religion. It's just about not turning into what you're opposing. May, um, I, may I interrupt you? Thomas Sheridan... I mean, since the whole coronavirus thing started, Thomas Sheridan has come out with some absolutely brilliant videos. And I just really look forward to when he has a new video up. Uh, one of the things he talks about is how after the 6th of January, a grouping of people who were Trump supporters went into a complete rabbit hole of denial about the fact that even their 
great messiah Trump has conceded the fact that he's not going to be president. Trump never conceded, but I was talking to somebody who said Trump never conceded. Well, I said, after Congress sacked him, he didn't have to. You don't have to concede when you've already bloody lost. I mean, if you're in a boxing match and your opponent has knocked you out, you don't, uh, after the, the count of ten has been done and you come to, you don't say, okay, I concede. And that's what happened in Congress. Uh, but Thomas is talking about these people who are just not letting go of it. And they are the same as all of these woke people who are talking about 57 genders, Greta Thunberg, and why we should censor people who we disagree with. And the term is fanaticism. That is the term. The term is fanaticism. Thomas talks also, people must think I'm a, you know, a big cult follower of Thomas, and I'm not, but, um, he just comes out with an awful lot of very correct stuff. Um, Thomas talks about paganism and he had a great video recently talking about paganism there are a number of things about paganism that make it distinct from the Abrahamic religions one of them is that there's no set theology the second is that there's no messiah and the third is that there are no commandments so for example if I'm going into court and I'm required to swear on the Bible Paganism says do it, because paganism is about suiting yourself in a common sense way in any time you find yourself in. So I'm not going to go into court and say, well, judge, I'm a pagan and I have to have a, um, a statue of Cthulhu here for me to, sw to swear myself in on. The pagan gods would say, oh, look, if it suits you, just swear on the Bible. So that's one of the kind of central things about paganism a lot of people think they're pagans but what they have actually done is they have just replaced one abrahamic judaic religion either judaism islam or christianity with another same mindset it's central tenet of paganism i'd say it's probably the most important one is that there is no messiah there's no messiah in you and there's no messiah elsewhere you have to make your own mind up well i think i mean just again to go off a little tangent of my own there i think that the gods in that context um, are are the archetypes. I've been reading about this recently. I'm reading Richard Tarnas' uh, monumental book, Cosmos and Psyche. So I think that the, the gods um, are in everything. Like love is a god, beauty is a god. Uh, if you see what I mean, like violence is a god, anger is a god. All of these things, and they manifest in our our, our psyche, individual and collective. And they, man they we see them in uh, the 3d reality that we take to be everything there is mm -hmm. so that's what i would kind of that's why the, the pagan mindset would make sense to me though i don't identify with that as such but it seems very logical and utilitarian in the best possible sense of the word that's a really dirty word it can be uh, you know swear, swearing on the bible in court because let's just get this done you know if you're in if you're in court and you just want to get through it and get it over with you know then yeah swear on the bible whatever it only means something to somebody who who believes it to be meaningful. Otherwise, it's just a pile of paper. Mm, mm, mm. It, the, swearing on the Bible in court if you're a pagan reminds me a little bit of the British film from 1973, The Wicker Man. Have you seen it? Oh, absolutely, yeah. I think it's actually one of the very best films to come out of Britain. Um, another one of the best films to come out of Britain is The Railway Children. Um, I remember watching The Railway Children and just loving it. But one of the features of the Wicker Man, and it takes us back to fanaticism, is that that sergeant who goes over to the island is a fanatic. Because his fanaticism manifests itself, first of all, in his religious dogma, but also in the fact that he very much transcended the boundaries in which he visited the island. 
he was welcomed to that island by the people who were initially very courteous and hospitable to him. He got every warning possible. Uh, plot spoiler for anybody who hasn't seen The Wicker Man. He got every warning possible to him by the people on the island. And by the time that he, it was too late for him, they said to him, you came here of your own volition. You arrogated upon yourself the authority of the king insofar as you came over without a warrant. You were a fool and you're a virgin. You walked into this. That's what they said in The Wicker Man. Um, we're dealing here again with the fatality of fanaticism because he was a fanatic and he was also a fool. And I found The Wicker Man, people call it a horror and they call it an occult film. I would call it a very, very dark comedy. I would call it, I found, you know, I, I by about halfway through it, I said to myself, oh man, just get off the island. Just, you know, if you have to swim or if you have to kind of, uh, develop a pair of wings or something, just get the fuck off that island, man. Sorry if I use bad language, but get off that island because this is not going to end well. And there's another important tenet of paganism came out in that film. And that's the rule of not meddling. When you meddle in things that are none of your own business, that can open up that there's actually from a pagan point of view, meddling is delving into black magic. And certainly you see that in the courts. The courts, I think, in maybe more so in Ireland, even than anywhere else, will not tolerate meddling. People who are trying to mess around in court cases, and we're seeing this with eviction cases like Strokestown. Um, I may have mentioned that before, because that's a very sad case, the Strokestown one. Then you get these other people who are coming in and meddling with Freeman and the land, pseudo-legal rubbish. And... On the, the long-term trajectory, that hasn't in any way shown itself yet. But it's why I became aware of pseudo-law and Freeman on the land in 2014. And the moment I tweaked what it was, I went on a mission to say to people, keep away from this, wake up to what this is. This is black magic. These are not good people. These are bad people. Um, getting back to the wicker man, Summerisle, who is the laird in charge of that island, is talking to... He invites... or tolerates a visit from the sergeant over to his castle and there are many very funny features of the film you know the big penis shaped trees and the driveway up and all the women dancing naked over a fire you know but they're talking about christianity and Summerisle says we view christianity as comparative religion and I refuse to look at Lord Summerisle as the baddie. Okay, it was brilliantly played by Christopher Lee, <laughs> who is this great <laughs> baddie character. But I could not, in my head, equate that man in the film with being a ba- with being a baddie. When he said we recognise Christianity's comparative religion, what they were saying is we are religiously tolerant of views that we don't agree with. Well, I don't think there can be anything more unfanatical than that. And the sergeant didn't even pick up on that, you know. Um, the only thing that I found offensive or upsetting in The Wicker Man was that there were innocent young animals, calves and piglets and things that were burnt in the statue alongside the sergeant. I had no sympathy for the sergeant. As far as I'm concerned, he'd brought on himself. But the cruelty to these young animals I found upsetting. Now, of course, that didn't happen. And, you know, they use sound effects in the film. The animals weren't burnt to death, obviously. But... <clears throat> The the story told that they would sacrifice these innocent animals who had harmed nobody. No, I didn't like that at all, and that's not how I would view proper paganism. That concludes part one of our interview. Part two will be available soon in the subscribers area at legalizefreedom.com. Legalize Freedom. 
www.sbs.com.au.